Today's sermon topic is the power of a plan, purpose, and persistence. Today's message is one I believe that God has purposed to minister to us as individuals and to us as a culture of people. We are going to cover the book of Exodus chapter 1 through chapters 11. If you get a chance in your own time, I encourage you to read it. It's the life of Moses and how the power of a plan and purpose and persistence freed a nation. Moses's life was one that was filled with a whole lot of ups and downs. Throughout his life, he was challenged on every side. His faith was challenged. His principles was challenged. Even his purpose. But because of his persistence and God's persistence, his life is one that has and will always be used to teach and motivate and draw people to God. Moses's life started off before he could take one breath with a hit out on his life. Let me paint the scenery of the backdrop of the time in which Moses was born. Although the Israelites were large in number and they were strong in might, they had not established any real wealth where they could be self-sufficient in the time of famine. So they had no alternative when famine came but to look to the Egyptians for provision which gave them incredible leverage over the Egyptians, over the Israelites. And the Egyptians played on that leverage that they had, and they exploited that weakness, and they began to oppress the Israelites. Now, I'm going to pause just for a moment here. As I told you, this message, I believe, was ordained to speak to a culture, and if I be more specific, black folks. Today, we live free from the confines of a plantation and shackles. But because we are a people who are primarily consumers, we own nothing to sustain the essentials of life if we were to ever be faced with a famine. If that doesn't scare you, it scares me. And because we have duped ourselves into a mindset of thinking that inanimate objects determine our value. We will continue to operate looking for provision from the descendants of those who oppressed our ancestors. Now, please don't get me wrong. My words are not meant to create any animosity or hate towards anyone because the mindset we as a people currently maintain is not the fault of anyone but ourselves. We as a people have been fighting against racism and for equality from the time the first slave stepped off that boat and put their feet on U.S. soil. And if racism never completely ceased to exist, inequality for us is never fully realized. What is our plan See, blame, be it justified or unjustified, we cannot allow blame to be the end of our story. For it's up to us to unite and put a plan in place with a united purpose 
and execute the plan with persistence. Not for the sake of reigniting a segregated society, but for the sake of survival of an underserved people, for the sake of a legacy of overcomers. Moses was born at a time when Pharaoh had issued an order to kill every male child of the Israelites at birth. See, Pharaoh understood that that you weaken a race when you kill off the males. Even today, we see the detrimental attack of racism is primarily targeted at the black male. But I also need you to widen your perception of the attack on our males beyond the plight of racism. Ephesians 6 and 12 tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, it's spiritual wickedness, a demonic spirit that is running rampant in our communities and in the mindset of our men that are causing them to kill one another at a higher rate than any racist attack. All while we are screaming, Black Lives Matter. I have a very close friend of mine who just lost a male and their family within just the last week, not due to COVID, not due to the backlash of racism, but in the midst of this Black Lives Movement, he died at the hands of another Black man. Satan is using us to mock our own cries. Our prayers for the attack on our people need not stop at racism and oppression but needs to include to be against the demonic influences that have been released and that we continuously nourish and ignore as it kills us spiritually, mentally, and physically. See, Satan, like Pharaoh, knew and knows how to kill a race, a culture, a legacy of people. But see, when Moses was born, his mother sheltered him and hid him And when she could no longer hide him, she created a sealed basket and put him in the river and let him sail up the river. Now, Moses' sister Miriam, who likely wanted to know that her brother was safe, she followed him as that basket cruised down the river. And then along comes Pharaoh's daughter, who came down to the river to bathe. Now, why? Why? The princes would come down to bathe in the river like a common peasant when she likely had servants that could have drawn her bath in the luxury of her own abode. See, this is just evidence that this was nothing but the hand of God in this. When she sees the basket, she pulls it in and opens it and she sees this beautiful baby boy. And just as she was looking upon his face, Miriam, Moses' sister, walked up and heard her declare, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. Miriam immediately asked her if she wanted her to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him. And she said, yes, go, yes. So Miriam brings her mother to Pharaoh's daughter. And I love this story. And, And Pharaoh's daughter says, Please take this baby and nurse him and I will pay you wages. 
Now, this is where God has a, a, a sense of humor. And it kicks in right about here. The daughter of the man who has ordered the death of all male children of the Israelites has now rescued one of these male children and intends to raise it in the palace as her own and as the grandson of Pharaoh. Then to add insult to injury, unbeknownst to Pharaoh's daughter, she has just agreed to pay the child's natural mother to nurse him and assist her in raising him. Now you tell me God won't do it. Step aside. Understand and be mindful that it was because Moses' mother was so persistent and dedicated to preserving the purpose that came through her womb that she unselfishly was willing to let go and trust God to orchestrate how he would protect and use what he ordained. Is this ministering to anybody today? I came to tell you, don't be so afraid to let go of control. We have not been called to control God's purpose. We have been called to just be willing to allow him to use us to fulfill his purpose. Pharaoh's daughter names the baby Moses, which means he who was drawn from water. Now, the Bible doesn't give the details of Pharaoh's daughter's situation, but because her name is never mentioned, she was likely barren. And see, a barren woman was of no consequence then. So she has she was given no name. She was likely barren and her daddy likely sympathized with her pain and was willing to welcome this child she had drawn from the water as hers. And trust me, I'm one that know. I personally know how girls can get their daddy's heart and win them over and how daddies don't like their daughters to lack anything. So Moses grows up in the palace as part of the royal family with every benefit and luxury available to him. But when Moses becomes an adult, a man, he goes out to the field and he sees one of the Egyptians beating a Hebrew. Moses could have very well turned his head and, and chalked it up to, well, you know, that's just part of the way we keep our servants in line. But he didn't. Moses couldn't allow the luxuries that he was afforded to taint his compassion for mankind, which is a lesson for us to never accumulate so much stuff or acquire such a position or a title that it begins to taint your compassion for humanity. Because the bottom line is, regardless of the accolades and the titles and the stuff, just like Moses, everything that we have, everything that we will ever acquire comes through the grace of God. Moses' anger pushed him to do the unthinkable as he looked to the left and to the right to make sure that no one else was watching him. He killed the Egyptian. Not that we advocate the killing of any man. The issue is the passion and commitment that Moses had to exert to not allow anyone to be abused by the hand of another. The next day he saw two 
Hebrew men quarreling. And he asked them, why are you quarreling with your brother? And they responded very sarcastically. Why is this any of your concern? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? So let's rewind back to yesterday. There was only three people who knew anything about that murder, and one of them was dead. So although Moses was defending the man who was being beaten, that same man obviously went running and telling others that Moses had killed that Egyptian. See, I don't know whether any of you have ever had this experience, you know, when you try to do something for somebody and try to do the right thing by somebody and they flip the script on you and leave you standing there holding the bag in hot water. Well, that's exactly what happened to Moses here. Word spread that he had killed the Egyptian. I mean, it spread like wildfires. And it got back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, he wanted to kill Moses. Yes, the boy he raised in his house, pretty much as his grandson. Pharaoh was like some people who are wealthy, you know, they think, you know, I've done you a favor. I extended you this. So they think that their wealth is enough to buy your principles. Well, it wasn't enough to buy Moses's. So Moses fled to Midian to escape the second hit that Pharaoh had put out on his life. Now he's running for his life and stops at a riverbank and comes upon these sisters who came to draw water from the river. And he notices that they're being harassed by some shepherds. Moses comes to their rescue and then proceeds to help them with their chores of drawing water. Moses truly had a passion for helping people because most of us, after defending the man that was being beaten and he flipped the script on us, most of us would have been done. I'm done. I'm minding my business. I ain't helping nobody else. But that was not Moses. And we'll see later how when you uphold God's principles and, and righteousness, how God will use you to accomplish his plans. Never allow a bad experience with doing what is right make you give up on being committed to do what is right. When the sisters returned home, their father wanted to know how were they able to finish their chores so quickly. And they began to tell their dad the story of Moses and how he protected them from the shepherds that were harassing them. And then how he helped them with their chores. And the father said, well, where is this Moses? Invite him to dinner. So they did. And Moses and the father, Jethro, they hit it off right away. Moses ends up marrying one of the sisters and working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And Moses lives happily married with his new family for 40 years. Then one day, as Moses is out tending to the flock, God appeared to him in a burning bush. But when Moses paid a close attention to the bush, it was flaming with fire, but the fire wasn't consuming it. It wasn't burning. In other words, the leaves were still green. The branches were still in place, not harmed. So he turned to get closer. And scripture said, as he turned, God called him, Moses, Moses. The key here is that the scripture makes a point of saying when he turned. In other words, when Moses made an effort, 
when Moses took the initiative to see what God was doing in the midst of this very unusual circumstance, God called to him. See, when God is ready to make some changes in our life, we can expect to see or experience something that makes absolutely no sense. But then we have to be prepared to turn our attention to the move of God. Moses Moses answered God and said, here I am. God says to him, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. In other words, what God was saying is get rid of what is keeping your flesh from communing with my holiness so you can be in position for me to use you like I need to. And some of us need to get in that position where we set down our flesh and start communing with the holiness of God so that he can position us to use us like he needs to. For the last 40 years, while Moses was focused on his family, his job as a shepherd, the oppression of the Israelites continued at the hands of the Egyptians. Now God decided he wanted to use Moses to free his people. You know, God doesn't waste anything that we have, whether it's good or bad. You know, that that attitude that you have, that smart talk that you had, God will figure out a way to use it all for his glory. So now God is going to use the passion that Moses has for rescuing the mistreated, the skills that he has now acquired as a shepherd to free the Israelites and take them to the promised land. See, God needed someone with passion, someone with patience. And see, to be a shepherd, you have to have patience because sheep are not very smart people. You have to be patient and you have to be willing to lead them because sheep don't pay attention. And so that means you have to pay attention to them. They don't listen. So they are continuously in need of steering And if you don't steer them, they will stray. Sound familiar? See, because for we, 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 we're God's sheep and we do the same thing as natural sheep. We don't listen to God. We don't follow his steering. We get in the habit where we start straying and keep straying and get back on track and stray again. God says to Moses, come now and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I can go to Pharaoh and leave the children of Israel out of Egypt? See, Moses is likely thinking, first of all, I'm not sure that Pharaoh don't still have a hit out on me and want to kill me. That's number one in the first beginning. God says, I'll be with you. And this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship me, your God, right here at this very mountain. Moses in his humanity is thinking, yeah, that sounds real wonderful, God, real good. But suppose I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your father sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? Then God just kind of goes kind of gangster on Moses. He says, I am 
who I am. In other words, really Moses, I just set a bush on fire that was not consumed and you witnessed it. And you mean to tell me you can witness something like that and you can't sell them on who I am? He said, okay, I'll tell you what, just tell the people of Israel that I am sent me to you. God continues giving Moses the plan as to what to say as he is persistent about his purpose. He says to Moses, this is what you're going to say to the Israelites. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has been my name, and this is how I will always be known. He said to him, now believe me, they will listen to you. Now I have to pause right here because this scripture just kind of captured my attention when I was reading it because it makes clear that the legacy of the people of Israel was that they taught each generation about God and they obviously encouraged each generation to be submissive to the will and the word of God. What's even more astounding is that in the midst of their oppression, God knew that they had not refuted the teachings of their forefathers. See, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm a bit concerned about our children and what they will have to hold on to or the faith that they will have and what they will have faith in once we're gone. Then he shares a secret with Moses and says, I know that the king of Egypt won't let you go unless he's forced to. I know that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to intervene and I'm going to hit Egypt where it hurts. See, I'm going to give some miracles and and the miracles that I give you to perform is going to send them reeling, after which they'll be glad to send you off. Moses still not convinced. He objected. He said, they won't trust me. They won't listen to me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say God appeared to him. Hardly. So God said, what's in your hand? Moses replied, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses jumped back real fast. God said to him, reach out and grab the tail. And he did. And as he reached out and grabbed the tail of it, lo and behold, he was holding his staff again. What God is saying is you already have everything you need to pursue what he has ordained for you to do. Just start with what you have along with his principles and be persistent in your faith in him and follow the instructions. You already have everything you need to start pursuing God's purpose in your life. But God knew Moses still was not completely convinced. So he continued in his persistence to convince Moses. See, persistence is not just what God wants from us. He exemplifies persistence when dealing with us. God then said, put your hand inside your shirt. So Moses slips his hand inside his shirt and then pulls it out. His hand turned leprosy. God said, put your hand back in your shirt. And he did, and he pulled it out. 
when he pulled it out, it was as healthy as it was before. So if they don't trust you and aren't convinced by the first sign, the second sign should do it, God says. But if it doesn't, if even after these two signs, they don't trust you and listen to your message, take some water out of the Nile and pour it on the land. The Nile water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. God is letting him know, no matter which way this turns, I got you. Moses still not convinced. He, he, he raised another objection to God's plans just because it just wasn't sitting right with him. This is not how he imagined God would use him. You know, sometimes we have envisioned exactly how we want God to use us and he don't never seem to go along with our plans. He never go along with mine, that's for sure. Well, Moses is feeling the same way. And he said, Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before or after you spoke to me. I stutter, I stammer. God reminded him, and who do you think made the human mouth? And who, who makes some mute? Who, who makes some deaf? Some sighted and some blind. Isn't it I, God? And at this point, God is a little frustrated. And he says, so get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. Believe it or not, Moses still was not on board with God's plan. And he said, oh, Master, please just send somebody else. Scripture says God had had enough with Moses' excuses and that he got angry with Moses. But even in God's anger and even in our lack of faith, God will show mercy and will provide us with what we need to pursue. So God asked Moses, don't you have a brother, Aaron, the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. In fact, at this moment, he's on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. You'll speak to him and tell him what to say. And I'll be right there with you as you speak and with him as he speaks, teaching you step by step. He will speak to the people for you. He'll act as your mouth. But you'll decide what comes out of it. Now take this staff in your hand so that you can use it to do the signs. You see, God knew that for whatever reason, Moses' faith needed to be strengthened. God will work with us when our faith is not where it needs to be. He's not quick to give up on us. So here we are, Moses at 80 years old is going to confront Pharaoh, proving that age is not a disqualifying factor with God, nor should it be with us. See, some of us older ones, we, you know, back off from sharing wisdom with the younger ones because we fear that they won't listen. But it's not our plight to make them listen. We are charged like Moses just to be willing to speak the word of God to them and let God deal with whether they choose to listen or not. 
As Moses goes to confront Pharaoh, keep in mind, this is a reverse age situation because Pharaoh is much older than Moses. But Moses is coming to him to advise him to let the Israelites go. So now keep in mind, Pharaoh is likely looking at Moses thinking, you ungrateful, disrespectful punk. I took you in my house as a baby, treated you like my own family, and you turned on me. And now you have the audacity to come here shouting some demands for me to free my slaves, my free labor, which will ultimately destroy the kingdom that you embraced as a baby. So you can imagine the tension that was in the air. Scripture goes on to tell us because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, God had to send a series of 10 plagues upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian. The first one was he turned the water into blood. All of the water in the river was turned to blood and the fish died and the river began to stink. Pharaoh still would not concede. God sent a plague of frogs which filled the land. Every inch of the land in and outside of people's houses was filled with frogs. That didn't upset Pharaoh at all. Then God sent a plague of gnats. All in the air was nothing but floods and floods of gnats. Now, you know how one gnat get on our nerve. Now, can you imagine just a flood of gnats everywhere you turned? That still did not ruffle the feathers of Pharaoh. God turned the gnats into flies. So they're not only annoying, they're buzzing and all of, you know, all of that goes with a fly. Still, Pharaoh wouldn't budge. Now keep in mind, every time Pharaoh refused to release the Israelites, Moses went back to God for instructions on the next step, never allowing Pharaoh's no to throw him off course. See, we have a tendency to let someone no stop us dead in our tracks, not realizing that every no is making us better prepared for the yes, because it's that yes that will require us to utilize the patience and the persistence that we gathered through the journey of no's. The next thing that God did was he sent a plague that killed the livestock of all the Egyptians but not one of the livestock of the Israelites. See, God was showing Pharaoh his favor in love for the Israelites. That still did not ruffle the feathers of Pharaoh. That man had to be beyond stubborn. So God sent a plague of boils. The Egyptians had boils all over their bodies. Every inch of their bodies was covered in boils. The scripture says every beast and every man was covered with boils. This still did not ruffle the feathers of Pharaoh. So God sent a plague of fiery hail. He sent locusts. He made it dark for three days, so dark that you could not see the hand in front of your face. But again, God wanted to show Pharaoh the love and the favor that he had for the Israelites because where they lived, there was light. Still, Pharaoh wouldn't budge. The last and final plague was the death of all firstborn Egyptians and their animals. Once again, the Israelites 
were not touched by this plague. Once there was not a house where someone had not died, Pharaoh agreed to free the slaves from bondage and allow them to go with their livestock. There are two lessons as individuals we can learn from Moses. First and foremost, we know all things are possible with God and that without God, nothing is impossible. We have to put it in our plan, etch it in our purpose, and be absolutely persistent like the Israelites and teach our children about God so that we leave a legacy of faith for our children and our children's children. Someone left a legacy or a etched of an inkling of God in each of us, in each of our hearts, or none of us would be even listening to this message today. Let's not drop the ball on our next generation. The second lesson reiterates the message in 2 Timothy 1 and 17 that tells us, God has not given us a spirit of fear, letting us know that fear comes to oppose what God has ordained. Moses tried to give in to his fears, but we see by his example and we learn that to pursue God's purpose will sometimes require you to confront your fears and even your past head on. And last but not least, we can learn from Moses is when you begin to pursue what God has ordained, just use what you already have to start the journey and you will acquire the strength, the patience, and the provision along the way. Whatever you are facing, whatever you are asking God for, align it with his purpose. Operate and pursue based on the principles of your faith in God and be persistent. When, seem, when things seem to get a little rough, just persist. When you get no's, persist. When it seems impossible to complete the task, persist. When other people tell you it won't work, pursue and persist. The only way to pursue purpose is by utilizing the power of principles and persistence. In closing, I want to quote Romans 15 and 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. To black America, I say, let's use the strategy of our forefathers. They got us from the back of the bus to any seat on the bus. They, without the use of technology, the internet, or social media, developed a plan. They remained focused on the unified purpose and were persistent in upholding the principles of that plan. The Alabama bus boycott lasted 381 days. And with determination, they carpooled, they walked miles to work and school when no other means were possible, proving that there is power in a plan, in a purpose, and in persistence. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus, we come to you lifting up our entire nation today. From the White House to the fields of the smallest farm, Lord, we ask you to shift and align and realign 
the hearts, the minds, and the agenda of your people. Align it that it agree with your will. Lord, shut down the spirit of racism. Humble the hearts of all men, women, and children. Lord, we thank you for the strides that we have made since the days we were oppressed like the Israelites. For we know that it was our foreparents' faith in you, respect for one another, and a mindset committed to being persistent that brought us this far. God, cover our black communities, our people as a whole, shift their hearts, elevate their belief and faith in you. Give us a respect for the legacy of our forefathers. Let the words Black Lives Matter be more than a tagline, but a mindset that encompasses an absolute belief in the significance of every life, every soul, every individual and collective purpose as ordained for your glory. Let us see value and purpose when we look into each other's eyes. Let us embrace the spirit of unity. Bring back to us a sense of humility, a sense of pride, a desire to help and partner with one another. Give us, O Lord, a yearning for knowledge, wisdom, and obedience to your word. For, Lord, we know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's it's our disobedience to your word that leaves us exposed to his influences. Lord, let your word speak louder to this nation than the manipulation of the enemy. Open up the eyes of your people, O God, for we declare and decree today that we will leave a legacy for our children and our children's children that will be strong and purpose-filled. Lord, these things we ask in the name of your precious Son, Jesus, and we give you glory and honor. Amen. I thank you all for joining me today. I ask you to join me on Wednesday night. I trust that you will have a blessed rest of your afternoon. Be blessed and bye-bye.
outside.